podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, listeners. This is Gags Tandon speaking. This podcast is a special podcast uh, that was originally published on Anfield Index Pro for our subscribers, but um, it's all about Loris Carius and the concussion and all the discussion that was happening at that time and the debate that was going on. We thought we'd get a specialist on, and we had Chris Nowinski on, who's a specialist in the t- in the subject matter, and we thought we would put this out for free for you guys because just just because we it, it got such good feedback and the awareness that it created and how much you know people learn from it. I learned from it. Everybody that was on the podcast learned from it, and uh, it's just good to get out there and for people to know exactly what goes on when a player gets a concussion on the pitch and it's um it's just a topic that needs way more awareness you know there's been people talking about so much nonsense online that really you know we needed to get this one out there and like i said this was on Amphil index pro so it's been out for a couple of weeks and um subscribers would have already listened to it the feedback has been superb i hope you guys um take as much from this show as we did it's dave hendrick simon brundish and chris nowinski speaking uh, about concussions Index on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendricks stepping in today for your usual host, Gags Tandon. And joining me uh, is Gags's normal co host for this podcast, uh, Mr. Simon Brundish, sports scientist and founder of Strength Lab UK. Simon, how are you today? Yes, good, thanks, Dave. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us today um, to discuss the Lorries Carrius concussion topic that has become um, subject to much discussion in the last couple of, couple of hours. And that is Mr. Chris Nowinski, uh, former professional wrestler, but now most noted as the founding CEO of the Concussion Legacy for, uh, Foundation. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're very busy, so we really do appreciate you coming on to talk to us about this. My pleasure. So, Chris, I just wanted to start with yourself and just people that may not be aware of who you are and the work you do. If you can just give people a little bit of your background and what it is that you do now on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Um, I got into the concussion and CT world because I got kicked in the head too much. Uh, played football at Harvard University and then was a professional wrestler at WWE. Didn't understand what concussions were. Uh, got a really bad one that I lied about for many weeks and just kept getting hit in the head and eventually developed post-concussion syndrome. And in trying to get better, I started researching the issue and realized there was a bigger story to be told that athletes weren't being told the truth about how serious these blows to the head can be. So that led to me starting the Concussion Legacy Foundation and partnering with Boston University and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs to study our military. We have now the world's largest brain bank of athletes and trying to uh, piece together what all these blows to the heads do and what that means for how we should be playing sports going forward and how we fix all the athletes that we've broken. Okay, so let's let's start at the very basis of this. What is a concussion? So a concussion 
by the simple definition is an alteration in the way your brain's functioning caused by uh, rapid head movement or a blow to the head. And so what historically is we are understanding is that you don't really get physical brain damage to your brain, although that's not we're learning that that does happen. It's just very microscopic. But you get you get your brain gets rattled. It, it's you know more the, like the consistency of custard, so it moves around inside your skull. It stretches and twists. And when it does that, a whole bunch of things happen on a chemical level, on a uh, blood flow level that change the way your brain functions. The the magical thing about concussions is that they mostly resolve on their own, but it'll take at least days, usually weeks, sometimes months, uh, and then you'll get back to normal brain function. But we're also learning that if you get too many concussions, the symptoms can become permanent um, and your brain never quite gets back to where it should be. Sometimes it can even spark a degenerative process. Okay, so Simon, to come to yourself, why are we discussing this? Can you just give people a breakdown of the incident in the game and what happened and what now is it believe, is believed it led to? So, yeah, as we all know, Liverpool fans, uh, 48, 48 minutes, 50 seconds, um, out of nowhere, Sergio Ramos got shoved in the back and uh, his brilliant genius managed to trans- transform his body position into elbowing Carrius in the head, um, knocking him to the ground. Um, so, fast forward two minutes and 11 seconds of no treatment, um, no checking from the referee to see if the fellow was okay. Um, he did something um, in- unconscionable and threw the ball straight at a centre forward um, three feet in front of him with, with a com- completely open goal. So, to to just b- break this down for people, what are the immediate reaction, like impact, impactful reactions of a concussion in that kind of immediate three to five minute phase after it happens? So. The, the, the best research is done, if you want to go look at nice visuals, Google what's called the neurometabolic cascade of concussion. Essentially, uh, stretching of your nerve cells would cause a release of, of neurotransmitters. You have things like uh, potassium flooding outside the cell, calcium going inside the cell, and affecting the neuron's ability to function. So you have a whole bunch of things going on inside the brain. But on the outside, you can't really tell. You know, sometimes you'll hit somebody in the head and it'll be so obvious they're knocked unconscious. Or it'll be so obvious that uh, part of their brain that controls balance will be impaired and so they'll wobble. But most of the time, you're not going to be able to tell that they have a concussion. They might have subtle uh, impairments like a headache or like double vision or ringing in their ears. And only they know. Uh, and even sometimes there'll be no immediate symptoms and they'll show up over time. And I'll give you an example that you know, makes me feel sympathetic for what we believe now happened in the game is that even, you know, after I had retired from concussions, I still played basketball and I was still very conscious of concussions and got elbowed in the head in a game with just a bunch of buddies. And everyone stopped and I go, right, Chris is concussed again. But I'm like, no, no, I, I, I don't feel anything. I think I'm fine. And it wasn't until I started driving home that all the symptoms started flooding. And then by, by the time I got home, I, you know, I, I got into an argument with my wife about breakfast, and I started crying. And I was like, geez, I don't usually cry over breakfast. And it, was, it, was that, it took half an hour for the symptoms even, for even me to notice, and I was trying to monitor them the entire time. Because the other problem that comes with trauma is you get a big burst of adrenaline, 
that your body's sort of trying to protect you. Uh, you know, imagine you were in a cave and you were swatted by a bear and you tried to, <laughs> you to get up and run away. So, you know, even the, the adrenaline can cover up the symptoms so you don't even notice. Well, that's been a big factor. A lot of the naysayers are calling this a, you know, a PR campaign and saying, well, if he, if he knew he was concussed, why didn't he ask to come off? But as you're suggesting, there is a likelihood that he did not know he was concussed in that moment. Right. It's sort of like asking someone who's drunk if they should drive, right? You, to ask somebody who just suffered a brain injury to be able to recognize their own brain injury and then recognize that the prudent move might be to come out uh, while you're being watched by the eyeballs of the world in a championship game is way too much to ask. And so, the, the, you know, I think he didn't show any really you know, serious symptoms. And so I don't know if the doctors necessarily should have pulled him off. Uh, but the re- you know the reality is I wouldn't I see, after seeing that blow I don't doubt that there was a, if he had symptoms I don't doubt there's concussion at all and it is hard to accept because it didn't look that bad um, but I don't think this is a PR campaign I actually know the doctor he saw in Boston well who was a, a top guy a straight shooter and um, I think this is a great educational opportunity which is why I was happy to come on to say. Look, this is just the reality of sport. This is this is the new way we have to look at things, and let's have some sympathy and respect for the fact that this is a you know very serious but a difficult injury to deal with. And if he wasn't, you know, in watching those highlights and watching those two mistakes, it doesn't seem like the kind of goalie that gets you to the championship game. And so, uh, I, you know, I think that that's the best evidence that his cognition was a little impaired. He was making bad split second decisions. Is it possible, uh, so there are no um, large, grand symptoms that people would see from the outside um, immediately within the first couple of minutes, but um, it, impact, it interferes with depth perception, say, perhaps? It, it interferes with everything, right? Think about it. Your brain controls everything, and you've got some sort of damage. You know, you've got nearly 100 billion neurons inside of your head, and some group of them, or multiple groups of them, are malfunctioning for a period of time. And so when, when you actually go to a doctor's office with a concussion, they'll put in at least a 20-item checklist in front of you. Uh, vision, hearing, nausea, headache, confusion, dizziness, because oftentimes only one or two of those things are affected. And reaction time is absolutely one of them, and cognition is absolutely one of them. Um, depth perception could be one of them. Uh, you know, the, you know, you look at the ball that, that bounced off his hands and went in. I mean, it's really hard. You know, if you're concussed, like we're talking about the most micro movements of the greatest athletes in the world. If you're off a couple millimeters, that ball is going from being caught to going behind you. So it totally makes sense that a concussion would impair that. Yeah, I mean, as you say, this is this is football at the highest of uh, highest level. It's the European Cup final. There's no higher level in club football. It's the biggest game in the world. So the slightest little, you know, it, let's look at it another way. If it was like a hamstring injury, the slight niggle in his hamstring, it would obviously affect his game. So this is no different. This is just a different type of injury. I think people are maybe a little bit, you know, reluctant to accept it because it's not the obvious injury. You can't physically see a limp. You can't physically see blood or anything like that. But clearly there was something impaired. Like... The first goal, he, he tries to roll the ball out. It doesn't appear to see 
the man standing, you know, three feet from him. Could it be that his vision was impaired to that side as he'd been hit to that side of his head? How would how would that have affected him? Right. Yeah. I mean, he, that that is entirely possible that he had some vision impairment. I think what's more likely is that you know you, he's been in that situation a million times, and if the guy was that close, he might have started his wind up and would pull it back and wait for the guy to clear more. But that part of your brain that makes that split second decision about you know pull you know well move getting rid of the ball or holding out of the ball that if that's off by a heartbeat you know you make the mistake and so you know this could be, yeah this could just be a great example of, of the, the finest motor movements and decision making skills uh, going going wrong and I and I, I appreciate that you guys are very enlightened on this because I'm glad you've been following it but I, you know because I I was actually reading uh, an article. On ESPN, the, the Chelsea goalkeeper uh, was Courtois. Courtois. Yes. Yeah, Courtois. 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 Yeah, that he was sort of mocking uh, uh, Loris because he said, well, I've had a concussion before and I couldn't continue the game. And it's unfortunate that that's the state of awareness in, in you know, European soccer, that even, you know, somebody who else is at that level who could be in that situation is belittling him. Who's because this player's never been told, you know, not every concussion is going to, you know, pull you out of the game. You know, the problem that we have in the U.S. and why this is on the front page all the time is because the NFL players can almost always play through the concussion. They really mm. want it, right? And so the most concussions aren't going to impair you so much that you couldn't be out there functioning on some level. You might be functioning a little bit worse, but you can still go through the motions. So that's something that you know everyone needs to understand, or else we're going to set a bar for ourselves that you can only come out if you're knocked out, which is where we've been in the past, and that seems to have resulted in a lot of older players being in very bad shape. You know, we just your brain can't take that for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm correct in saying there are different grades to concussions. Yes, but we've changed it from um, grading them at the time of injury. So grading them retrospectively, meaning that the more that we finally studied concussions, we've realized that the symptoms at the time of the injury do not correlate well to the severity of the injury and how fast you will return. You know, it's a little, still a little bit unknown and a little bit random as to which parts of your brain will malfunction at the time of injury. So, you know, if you lose your balance or you get knocked out, that looks the worst, but it may actually not be the worst in terms of how long it takes you to recover. So a lot of people had suggested the game took place on the 26th in the Ukraine. He had his tests done in Boston on the 31st. He took two flights in between. But would that be about the right time frame for these tests to have been done anyway, a five-day gap? You, you usually just do the tests when you realize there's a problem. I mean, okay. you know, there, there's, there was actually a decent study in the United States that showed only... Uh, they did a big study of college football players with big medical staffs and found that one out of six concussions were diagnosed at the time of injury and only half of them were diagnosed by the end of the game. And so a couple of them took two or three days to diagnose. And so if you imagine that, you know, people, no one said anything for a couple of days and then they realize something's going on and they got an appointment, you know, it, it's not crazy to go to a doctor five days later. And then that doctor's job will not only assess how your brain's functioning that day, but it's really a, a bit of an interview process of trying to understand at the time you're hit, what happened. And, and then if, if the 
player's forthright and says, well, look, I had some, I had a headache for the game, or I had a little bit of double vision, that might be all he noticed. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was hitting the head and had 20 seconds of double vision. The moment it clears, you go, gosh, I think I'm fine. Am I going to pull myself out? Because now I can see fine again. And what you don't realize when you're in that moment is if you had double vision, it also is going to mean other things are wrong, but you can't tell. So he may not, he, if he had, let's imagine he did have double vision for 20 seconds. But the moment it cleared, he goes, I'm good. And he didn't realize that the other impairments would show up in the course of the game to show that he, his hands were a little bit off and his decision-making was a little off. Just to bear in mind this, um, set aside even concussion for a second, if somebody elbows you in the head, it hurts. You feel like you've had your bell rung a little bit, so which is probably going to lead to concussion. But either way, right? If somebody elbows you in the head with that kind of force, it, 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 if, if your head hurts for a couple of minutes, that would be fairly normal. Like it, it happens in a game regularly. I bet it happens a couple of times every single game that that you get a little bit cloudy after a big header, or somebody kicks you, in, or you clash of heads, or something like that. Just a minor one. So that he made this decision. Two minutes and eleven seconds later, that's not without you know outside the 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 realms of completely understandable, and he's his head still rattling a little bit. Of course, right, right. I mean, if you look at the time course of the bad decision, it totally makes sense. But so, you know, I mean, the, it's important to appreciate the concussion can go sort of two ways in a cute moment, right? You 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 have thirty seconds or two minutes of problems, and then you get better. Or you could be five minutes, I'm fine, and then you start to get worse. Like, again, the, the brain is, is we're, we're just starting, we can't actually test what's happening in the brain in real time. So we're, yeah, and any of these things happening in any period of time counts as a concussion. Isn't, isn't it possible, like, I've seen uh, um, occasions myself, but um, isn't it possible that a player will get hit in the head, have some kind of dizziness that shakes off after a couple of minutes, he feels fine, three days later, he can't stand up anymore. He's getting migraines, and the real the real concussion kind of kicks in. Kicks in. That's not outside the realm of possibility. There are plenty of stories of, of people that that's happened to. That you know you you think you think you got out of the game unscathed. They went away during the game, and then and for, but you just during the week you just don't feel right. And and so you go to the doctor and they say, well, if you had those symptoms at the time you were hit, that's a concussion. Um, so again, that you know, it's and it can be a snowball of symptoms. That the the concussion can help uh, start affecting your sleep. And then if you're not sleeping right, two or three days later, you're starting to feel that, right? So it's you know, it, it, it's hard because when you have this conversation, you feel like you're sort of apologizing for any symptom. But the reality is, like this is this is this is what we're dealing with. And even even the way you're asking that question on when you're hitting the head sometimes and you get a you know, 30 seconds of problems or a couple minutes of problems, and that happens sort of every game. By definition, that's still a concussion. But historically, we've always played through them. And, you know, we, we don't really have good data on what we've historically called a ding, uh, if playing through, you know, how, how bad it is to play through those. But we, we do know that they happen way more than we're willing to recognize. And I would say that the players I talk to playing at high levels today are all still playing through the, the light dings, and they usually don't want to come out. And they only want to come out when they think their performance is bad, and that so that means we're still at risk for, for some serious long-term problems down the road. 
So, Chris, the report from, from MassGen um, was that Carius had taken 30 tests and that 26 of them are, had, had shown, you know, evidence that led to the diagnosis of, of concussion. What sort of tests would those be, just for people that may not be aware? Um, you said there were, the statement said there were what, 20? Uh, he, 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 there was 30 tests and 26 of them showed evidence or, you know, sh showed that, uh, you know, well, positive results. Interesting. Uh, you know, I didn't read, I didn't read the report, but if we're talking about 30 tests, um, that's, that's a lot. So be, I'd, I'd be curious to see what exactly they're defining as an individual test. But the kinds of things that would have happened in the clinic would include, you know, they, they would take a history of what happened. They do that symptom checklist. What did you feel at the time of injury on a scale of, you know, zero to, to five were these, with symptoms present? Um, how do you feel now? They would do tests of, of cognition and memory. They would do tests of balance. They would do tests of eye movement because one of the, I found out one of the more vulnerable things to concussion is how your eyes actually move. They're very sensitive to brain injury. Um, they would have, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of, that's sort of the main domains that we're talking about. Um, so, Simon, um, we were talking before the podcast just about a couple of examples of players that have had, you know, varying types of, of concussions and the kind of after effects. And you, one of them, obviously, was Mamadou Sacco in the 2016 League Cup final, where he was a clash of heads. He went down, he got back up. He was clearly, you know, had, couldn't find the center balance. He was taken off. He didn't know why he was being taken off. He thought he was being taken off because he was playing poorly. And he reacted by having an argument with the manager and, you know, throwing a water bottle. There's been a couple of others, though, that you, you want to mention. Yeah, in, fo in football, that's, that, well, for a Liverpool fan, that's quite a, a significant one. If you remember, he was, he, he could, he could barely stand up and they, they even let him carry on for a little, for a minute as well, which was insane. Um, there are, there are examples, but I wanted to touch on uh, something Chris has, has, has uh, talked about is the, what Courtois did. So one of the big examples would be Pitchek. Courtois um, was, I believe it was playing against us. Um, he got taken out by, I can't remember, it's, it was just like the box got a little kick in the head um, and then went off with, with concussion. But... Um, one of the big things, one of the big problems with this is you've got a footballer that suffered concussion mocking another footballer's pain tolerance, basically mo mocking the balls of, of another professional footballer, whilst at the same time you've got a whole army of, of footballers and the culture behind the footballers questioning his um, bravissimo, his, his machismo for staying on the, on the pitch. So if he'd, if he'd have complained at the time and got taken off, and no one could see external um, symptoms. They would have, they would have questioned his ball, which is insane. So you've got these this this paradigm where one side are questioning whether they're uh, whether you're masculine enough to put up with the pain, and another side um, saying that that concussion is nothing, basically, or concussion is not bad bad enough to come off, which is all insane. One, one, one example of this is um, that I'm going to talk about something that, that most listeners won't know about, but um, a dude called Justin Morneau, um, who's a, a relatively famous baseball player. 
in he went from an MVP season, which is footballer of the year, baseball player of the year, 2010. Um, he was having the season of his career. He slid into first place, um, and his his head made contact with the league. So he spent the next six months theoretically rehabbing from this injury, which was a non, it mocked as a non-injury by most uh, the baseball fraternity. Um, because his head was a bit cloudy, he didn't quite feel right. He managed to pull the season around the next year and have have a good year. Then he was done. Like his brain didn't function properly. He did. He couldn't. He couldn't cope with. It gave him one of the the uh, side effects of this is is like anxiety. So he then went on to have um, what we would see as more traditional modern day um, mental health issues and. The guy, a guy at the height peak of his career, retired. The other example of a, you know, player at a very high level um, who had a concussion and missed a, a prolonged period of time, of course, is Sidney Crosby, um, who's the most famous NHL player right now, arguably the best player in the league over the last ten seasons, and he missed, I believe, almost a year um, from a concussion. Chris, is this? Is this macho nonsense that we hear, is that something that will stop players from coming forward when they have a concussion? Because they feel like, as Simon has suggested, people will question their heart, their balls, and their courage, really. Not as much in the United States anymore. And that's because we've been talking about this for, you know, every day for 10 years, that we finally have prominent players saying, look, this is my career, this is my life, I can take a couple games off. Uh, you know, just because you can't see the injury doesn't mean I'm not injured. So that's where we are here. The, the players are actually, the ones who don't speak up, um, are often more concerned about the financial consequences of coming out with a concussion. There have been multiple studies of NFL players and NHL players that have shown that if you report a concussion, your next contract, like the NHL one essentially said it costs you $300,000 a year if you reported a concussion because either you were starting to shorten your career because you've got too many concussions or the teams thought you might be injury prone. I mean, that's sort of like the social effect of all of this. So yeah, the macho nonsense is garbage, and that's 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 what we're trying to change is that we all don't have to you know bury ourselves, you know, giving up our brain and our future just for a game. Like we have this, it's a horrible, horrible thing to lose your your, your neurological health, your mental health. You, you know, I, I every day I've got new calls of people in crisis, their wives, their children. You know, I'm interview. I'm about to, I'm heading to an interview with a son of a former NFL player who. You know, his dad became violent with the family and then took his own life. Uh, you know, you don't want to do this. You don't want to. You don't want to mess with your brain health. And so, I appreciate you guys having this conversation to try to change that culture to say, you know, if you try to play through these things and be a be a hero, you're the only one left standing with that damaged brain. That's not something you want. It's going to cost you. Yeah, just thinking back to 2010, I think it was Daniel Agger, another Liverpool player, suffered a concussion. Uh, early in the, the first game of the season and didn't really report it and it was kind of ongoing then for, for weeks and weeks and he was m missing games by his own admission he was unable to play but it took weeks for a diagnosis because he wasn't really taken seriously the manager at the time came out and called him soft in the press and that is going back eight years we fast forward to about three years ago and Hugo Lloris the Tottenham keeper 
um, was involved in a collision with Romelu Lukaku and was not oh, yeah. unconscious. You've, you've probably seen that one, Chris. Not unconscious on the field. And was given, the doctor gave him the option at the time, do you want to come off? And he said no, which caused, qu- quite rightly caused uproar. Uh, people were very upset and annoyed that he had been allowed to make that decision for himself. Now, in the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL, there's now concussion protocols. Um, Kevin Love is going through one at the moment, and he, it's going to cause, it cause him to miss game three, at least, of the NBA finals. Can you just give people a kind of a brief overview of, of what these concussion protocols entail and, and how long they can last? Sure. The protocols are there to protect athletes from going back too soon because now we know nobody returns. Even you know, We used to think the moment you felt better and you looked better, you were good to go. But now we know there's subtle problems in your brain that still need time to recover. And so there, most leagues operate a six-step protocol that essentially says, you know, rest until your symptoms are manageable and then start to do different levels of exertion uh, to try to test if you're ready to go. Because one of the important problems we have is that you can't diagnose a concussion using an objective test. There's no, like, Star Trek magic wand that says you're healthy. And so you might pass, you know, clinical tests but then you get out in the pitch and you start running around and the exercise will provoke symptoms or cognitive strain will provoke symptoms. And that's your brain telling you it's not ready to go back. And so each step of this process pushes you harder to make sure that if you get to that 100%, you're, you're more likely to be ready to go and you're not put in a position where you're warming up for the game and that's the first time you've exercised and suddenly you start feeling bad but you're going to lie about it because now people are looking at you. Yeah, and uh, there has been some progression in in the uh, certainly the Premier League. Simon, you, before the podcast, you were talking about the you know the guidelines that the FA have brought in. Can you give people just a rough idea of what those are? Yeah, they're they're weak. They're, they're nothing like the uh, the American sports protocols. But in fairness, uh, thanks to Chris, they properly exist, uh, and they've only been how long have they been around? Chris, two years, fully fully integrated uh, NFL. Sorry, how long have which protocols been placed? Uh, the NFL uh, concussion protocol. Oh, so they've been they've well they 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 first started using a, somewhat of a protocol in 2009, but they they update it basically every year. And now they're at the point where you have have doctors sideline. Yeah, and, yeah. So it's actually usable now. For a while, it was just it was still at the discretion of the team, wasn't it? But it became an independent thing. So so uh, it couldn't they couldn't leverage basically the. Uh, the quality and importance of the player into playing. It had, it had, right. it had to be cleared by an external um, observer, didn't it? It was a, right. maybe two, three years ago? Right. Yeah, about three or four years ago. Yeah. So in England, we have nothing like that, but we do have a set of guidelines um, which contradict all sorts of stuff. But um, the, FA, uh, the FA have everybody... It's literally on the walls in, uh, in the medical department of every Premier League club, of every, all, all of the 92 league clubs, it'll be there. Um, specific guidelines of what you're going to look for, checklists of the questions that have to be asked. Um, but then it has specific things about um, return to play. So in in the states, they have to pass um, uh, protocol tests, um, which are done by an observer, uh, um, an independent observer, before they're allowed to return to play. Um, in England, um, in the FA, suggests that you have to have a set a set period of time. So 
from 12 o'clock midnight after the, the concussion occurred, the next four days, you're supposed to rest. And you basically aren't allowed to return to play for 14 days. But there are no rules to apply that. So their guidelines are you can't return to play for 14 days, but they're not preventing that from happening at all. So you could actually go and play the very next day. So it, it does seem like these, there needs to be more. It seems like they need to follow you know, closer to the guidelines of the NFL, perhaps an independent medical observer at every game. And, you know, you mentioned before as well, Simon, that, you know, teams didn't want to be leveraged. In football, obviously, you get three substitutes. You may have already made your three substitutes. You may not want to burn a substitute. But surely for something like a head injury, there, could, there can be an exemption. You could have an exemption where it doesn't affect your substitutes. You can you can make one if the the, the independent observer was to say, like, this player is... You have a 10-minute temporary substitute. Exactly. Exactly. And surely that would make far more sense. The way the game is going, the way this is becoming much more of a, of a you know, a discussed topic, much more of a, you know, it's seen a lot more seriously now. It really, really needs to be addressed right now. It's obviously not seen seriously enough it, within the actual game considering the uh, comments of Ramos, of Courtois, of David Thompson today. Oh, yeah, so, well, I would take those people out of it, though. I, I, don't, I don't think players, current players, are ever in the right mind frame no, to but that's, but that's make wrong, informed Dave. decisions. But I don't know if, if, if Chris agrees, but in the States now, right, nothing changed until the players wanted it to change. Right, and I would also add that the, the player leadership uh, in the NFL changed before the players did. Yeah. So the, 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 you know, we, the, the NFL Players Association didn't start bringing in their own experts, included me and our team until 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they heard like, oh, there's a whole different narrative here that we can protect our guys, they started making changes, but they had to educate the players to say, hey, we're going to penalize that hit now and you can't hit somebody in the head for these reasons. And the players used to say, oh, why don't they put a skirt on us? Blah, blah, blah. And some of that's posturing, some of that was they weren't educated yet, but that's getting rarer and rarer to hear because, you know, it's partially that they're learning and partially because we're keeping a spotlight on the older players who show us the, the error in our ways in the past and how much they struggle. And I think the more we identify older soccer players with problems, uh, I think will help change the narrative. And that's partially why the brain bank work is so important. That's the evidence that says the old way was the wrong way. Simon, we do have one notable example of a player um, from, from the older years, Jeff Astle, who passed away tragically in I think, 2002, and there's now been the Jeff Astle Foundation that's been set up. Can you just talk people through what the Jeff Astle Foundation is and why it was established? Yeah, so it was established by, I think it was by his daughter. Um, I remember watching, because uh, Jeff Astle was quite a big... It, this time of year, Chris, this is going to be uh, not of interest to Chris at all, but um, at this time of year, with the World Cup going on, we used to have some famous, a uh, couple of famous comedians that did um, a great comedy football show um, around the big tournaments. And Jeff Astle was one of the, um, he was like the old footballer that was rolled out for the for these events. Um, and, you know, so he was kind of loosely famous still within the culture until he died. And the heading of the ball became kind of a thing. There was a little bit of research because this famous ex-footballer, thankfully, was famous enough because of the TV. Um, 
he was famous enough to to turn that into some kind of research. Um, but it kind of dissipated. So his so uh, this foundation was set up. Um, the a lot of the old World Cup um, heroes that that were his his contemporaries. Um, they were at big advocates, fundraisers for it. Um, looking into into the research of of neurological disorders and brain injuries, basically, um, and care for ex players that that have brain injuries. So uh, there are a couple of big um, research articles done. One in the University of Wales somewhere, I can't on the top of the head. I think maybe Glamorgan um, and at Bath, um, and that aligned with some of the stuff that Chris can tell you about um, in the states. Kind of points at Heading the ball is not good for you, and a, a consistent career, whether you paid for or not, with, to play, gives you significant tr- head trauma potentially mm. for the rest of your life. So when Jeff when Jeff Astle's brain was examined after his death, um, a number number of years after his death, he, he was diagnosed with CTE. And Chris, I know you do a lot of research into into CTE, and it's one of the it's become one of the major talking points because of the massive lawsuit in the NFL, because of certain, you know, high profile deaths and, and things that happened around them. Um, can you, can you just talk to people, to, to the listeners about what CTE is and, and what it can actually do to the human brain? Sure. CTE is a neurodegenerative disease that all the evidence is, we're comfortable saying, is caused by repetitive brain trauma. And what happens is uh, your axons appear to get stretched um, and it starts inflammation and the inflammation that usually would recover, you keep, if you keep uh, getting hit in the head and keep sparking that inflammation, the process can get out of control. And what starts is tiny lesions in your frontal lobe and some deep areas of the brain uh, develops the ability to spread, even in the absence of additional blows to the head, and can spread for the rest of your life. And... You know, with Jeff Astle, he, you know, developed dementia in his 50s. So that's when he took you know, so much brain tissue was destroyed. Uh, so much brain tissue was destroyed that, um, you know, he couldn't function. And along the way, it's kind of a wild ride. You start to attack the frontal lobes and you start to attack the medial temporal lobe, you know, parts of the area that control brain and emotion and it can just get out of control. Uh, so it's, we've looked at the brains of now over 500 athletes. Almost all of our NFL players and college football players have had it. We've seen it in you know, about 10 soccer players. Uh, the brain's not meant to take thousands of blows to the head. That's sort of the takeaway. Chris, one final question, right. then I'll let, you, I'll let you go. I just wanted to ask quickly, the likelihood of, of a reoccurrence for Carius, does that now become a, a lot more prevalent? Given he's now had one concussion, is he now more you know, potentially vulnerable to another? Um, yeah, it it uh, it makes it, the 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 data says you, you you could be more likely to get them, uh, but we don't like to paint every athlete with that brush because that's not the case. There's plenty of guys who get one bad one, bad one that are fine. This was even a bad one, so uh, it does increase your risk on paper. Um, but I wouldn't uh, you know I, I I wouldn't focus on that too much. But Perfect. hey, guys, I, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. And Thank you so much. Gospel, and I look forward to it again sometime. Take care, Chris. Thank you right, so much. Thanks, Chris. Right. Bye. F- folks, he's Chris Nowinski. It's Chris Nowin- at Chris Nowinski1 on Twitter. You can find Concussion Legacy Foundation at ConcussionLF on Twitter. The website is concussionfoundation.org or his own personal site is chrisnowinski.com. 
He's a fascinating guy. He's one of the leading experts on these topics. He's well worth your time to just research, read into what he's doing. Um, Simon, I thought that was, you know, far exceeded my expectations. And uh, to be honest, in hearing that, I, I just, I, I don't see how people can have any doubts that we need to take concussions a lot more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just with Chris, he, he has a book called Head Games. Um, and which has actually been made into a movie as well. So check that out and check out Concussion with Will, Big, Will Smith's big movie, which Chris had a lot to do with the research of. Um, yeah, Concussion is just, it's, it's a big deal. I've got two kids, uh, a 13-year-old girl who's a captain of her football team and 10-year-old boy. My boy is proper all-action, insane, um, free-climbing, parkouring, footballing cricketer rugby player um and he, you know he lives by the seat of his pants and if there's a ball in the air off the floor he's either going to bicycle kick it or diving head of that and it terrifies me um both of them are really smart and i just think the risk reward of heading a ball um is is not in favor of actually doing it so i even to my daughter i she's uh, she she plays centre back, um, and I I still suggest to her that um, you know give a nudge in the ribs to a, an attacker or stand on the toes instead of heading the damn ball because I I don't want to see that. Um, yeah, there, there there is research in place now that shows uh, a lot of, a lot of research a lot more research has been done in the states than in England, which is just ridiculous, mm. absolutely absurd that we're not taking this seriously enough. Um, in high school and college. Um, Students that play that play soccer um, in significant numbers. Uh, uh, there have been some research, and um, last year for the first time, women's football had more cases of concussion than the NFL. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And there's obviously there's been a massive downturn in the number of of kids that are starting to play like American football. Yeah. Um, because but, parents but are so worried about this. Season. Yeah. It's but the same. As concussion. That's it. And it's the same at rugby. I've noticed there's a massive drop off in the number of kids playing rugby as well. And as someone who played rugby for 20 odd years and suffered a number of concussions, I'm now quite concerned about what my future may hold. And obviously, <laughs> I, I suggest to anybody who's ever had a concussion to just be aware of you know, the possibility that you know, that may have long term effects. Gags is going to be doing a podcast tomorrow um, with David Priest, former professional goalkeeper, who suffered seven concussions during his career. And um, if you've read his his Twitter timeline, he's given some fascinating insight into you know his own experiences in these. And um, I, I think that would be well worth a, a listen as well. Simon, is there anything you wanted to plug from here? No, not at all. Just that uh, hopefully we've uh, we've we've put enough facts to uh, uh, be able to put to bed. The, the whole con- conspiracy theory PR at garbage. Mm. The, that's yeah. not what science says. And if you actually think about it on any kind of um, granular level of your own experience in life, when you've, you've, if you've played football at all, there's been a moment in a game when you've headed the ball. Forget even getting hit. When you've headed the ball, you've gone, oh shit, and been a bit dizzy for, for a couple of minutes. Everybody has. Yeah. And yeah, that occurred, that was imposed on Carrius in the 48th minute of the Champions League final. 
Exactly. And as as Chris said, you know, as we've talked to him, the likelihood is he wasn't aware of, of that he was concussed. Um, you know, he, he got up as quickly as possible and got on with things. It was Champions League finals, the biggest game of his life. What's he going to do? Exactly. Well, that's the thing. If he goes down, and as you said, Simon, people start questioning him, oh, he's looking for an easy way out, etc., etc. And it's really, it's something we need to get beyond. There's an awful lot of rubbish being talked about, about, you know, questioning people's masculinity, talking about it being, you know, a PR job. Look, MassGen is the number one head trauma center in the world. They are not going to release these this this report just as a PR job to help John so Henry. Falsify medical evidence. No, exactly. They don't. They don't in prison if they did that. It's just it's nonsense. And the tests weren't two weeks after the game. Yeah, that's the other thing to point out. That the game took place on the twenty sixth. He flew home from the Ukraine the next day. He would have had to have an assessment in England and then be booked for an appointment in in Boston. Then he would have had to fly to Boston. Now, Sai, you, you raised something actually before we started the podcast, just about, you know, it's very strange that he was allowed to fly twice in such a short period of time after after the the, the, the uh, incident. Sure. I, I, I'm not, I've had, I've had some discussions in the last couple of days with uh, medical professionals within the game, um, and not to question the abilities of our medical team, and particularly the doctor who was the head of medicine, um, because they didn't actually get to go on the pitch. So they didn't get to diagnose it at the time. But given there's no chance that, that everybody on the bench wouldn't have known about the elbow within a couple of minutes of it occurring and the subsequent erratic behavior mm. of Carrius, there is no way they shouldn't have been testing him after the game immediately. If there was any chance that he had concussion, which there was because of the actions after the game, uh, during the game and the elbow, the, the, the this is so allowing him to actually what turned into three long haul flights within a week, yeah. within actually five days of the game. That is so far away from good practice and protocol. You would have to question the medical team, and given that he was flown to um, Boston in the first place. I think perhaps the owner's already questioning the medical team. I would imagine so. I would imagine that there there's going to be an internal sort of investigation into this. Um, what I will say is if you're encountering people on Twitter, on Facebook, etc., that are, you know, casting doubt on the legitimacy of, of what happened to Carius, just link them to Chris's website, chrisnowinski.com, and it's fascinating in this loads of information it will link you to all different types of articles and other websites where you can actually not only educate yourself but educate others and have have this discussion with with a basis to have it not just you know bluster and nonsense not the garbage we've seen from certain ex-pros um you know in the aftermath of the of these results being released in this is something we need to talk about seriously this is not something we can brush aside this is not something that you know, just because it's an injury you can't see, it doesn't make it any less real than a broken leg. It, it's actually far more serious than that because a broken leg will heal. Sometimes this won't. This will lead to other things. Chris mentioned post, post-concussion syndrome earlier on. He, he discussed CTE. Read into those things. Find out the things though that, you know, what the effects of those things, what they've done to people's lives. It really will open your eyes. Um, I want to thank everybody, uh, for, for, for listening to this. I want to thank you, Simon, for taking your time this evening. Obviously, thanks to Chris for coming on. I thought he was a fantastic guest. If you're listening to us on the trial, 
I really hope you're enjoying the content. I really hope you'll stay with us. We've got a lot planned for the summer and, and then for next season. If you're already a subscriber, thanks very much. I hope you stick with us. Um, I'm Dave Hendrick. This has been Fatigue Index, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Really, really hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, that's the end of the show there. Uh, you know, I thought Dave and Simon and Chris were amazing. Um, Chris's knowledge and obviously the, the, how much he goes through is just, it's just phenomenal. I hope you guys have enjoyed that. That's the type of content that is available on AI Pro. We get all the experts on and uh, that, that is the, the quality of show you'll get on there. So do maybe join us on AI Pro. You can just go to androidindex.com forward slash join. Check that out. And, um, there's monthly and annual subscription options there too so yeah make sure you do check out Amphrod Index Pro too thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed that see you soon Network.